Uh, cheers. Welcome, everybody. I am Devin. This is Tristan. We are uh, going to do a little podcast. This is the second uh, episode of myself and Tristan. So thank you very, very much for, for coming back and being willing to, to talk to me again. I appreciate that, my man. Um, I want to make sure that we're in the correct view. Uh, I want to be in gallery view, not speaker view. There we are, so we can see both of us. Cheers, and uh, I understand that you're about to go uh, look at potentially purchasing a new animal for the for the herd. That's exciting. That's pretty cool. I, I'm I'm jealous that you're living the uh, living the connected life. You're 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 adding to the stable's not the right word, but but how cool, man! Tell tell me about that. You're you you have another uh, you have another prospect for the farm for the for the for the homestead. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we, we've got, um, right now we've got three cows here, one milking cow that's producing milk. And I've got, like, here's some, this is some whey uh, from her right here. From whey is like the leftover liquid. When you make cheese, you drain out that liquid and you, uh, you've got whey. And it's kind of, looks like Gatorade. Tastes way better than any Gatorade. Is that right? Yeah, I remember curds and whey from Little Miss Muffet, right? Way is so freaking good. It's 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 taste. It's a little bit. This one's a little bit sour. So there's some that are sweet. There's some that are sour. And this is from a yogurt cheese that we made. So you make yogurt. You straight up cheese. You got whey. Uh, but yeah, we got one milk cow right now, and I'm trying to trying to have another one because you're gonna have like anywhere from three to five months, maybe even more, uh, throughout the year where your your cow's not producing milk. Some cows you can milk all throughout their pregnancy, right? Others. Uh, they're going to dry up a few months into the pregnancy. So the calf that we've got right now, we've got three cows. We've got one milking cow. We've got her calf, a little bull calf. And uh, he's three months old right now. So Yeah, Joey, right? Yeah, yeah. So the next time she goes in heat, we're going to get her knocked up. So we're going to her, get her impregnated the next time she goes in heat. And, uh, and then in a few months, we won't have any milk. So I'm like, like trying to figure out, I've got to get that constant supply of milk. So... Because uh, I'm so, so spoiled with having milk every day. I don't know what so I would do without having milk every day. So now I, I'm trying to find one that's pregnant, that's going to give birth in the next couple months, so that once Linda is knocked up again and she's not producing, then we'll also have a good source of milk. So the idea is basically just to have probably a total of three cows to be milking throughout the year, and then one of them will be dry at any given time, likely. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's the plan right now. That's interesting. I, I mean, I wouldn't have, I, I, I don't have that knowledge from not having had the experience, but it wouldn't occur to me without thinking through it. But yeah, so whenever one of the heifers is pregnant, she's out of the rotation, so to speak. And so you need another one that's actively nursing. So are you going some to be will, breeding? Some of, them will, some of them will give milk throughout the whole pregnancy. Okay, that's interesting. Is that based on like the kind of cow or, or is it just love Probably or the draw? or genetics and feed. Right, like if they have a lot of grass, okay. they'll be able to produce, and maybe they'll drive if they don't have enough grass. And then also genetics, like maybe I, I'm not sure exactly what determines it. You know, I think it's just it's just how it is. Apparently, the cow I'm going to look at today, she gives milk for seven months through the pregnancy, and then she'll dry up for two and a half to three months at the end of the pregnancy, which would you know that's not too bad. No, it's a lot of milk, dude. Are you going to be breeding then? Are you going to have? Are are you going to breed Joey or like in yeah, I mean, he's like three months old so I'll keep I'll put him somewhere else I'll rent 
I'll rent land to put them on and rent pasture for them. I'll keep them, you know, somewhere else so that I've got the grass for the cows that are giving milk. And then, yeah. you know, eventually either, cause he's really good genetics. Like I could breed him or I could uh, slaughter him for food. Right. How old do you let him, do you let him get for, for those two purposes? Maybe like a year and a half, probably he'll be ready. I think around, around a year to a year and a half, they're, they're mature. They'll be sexually they mature. Put so much weight on in that amount of time, yeah. huh? Depending on, wow. yeah, depending on the conditions, right? Like if it's, if it's got milk for the first, you know, six months, then yeah, it's going to put on a lot of weight. If, right. yeah, if, it, if it's feed is not as good, then it'll take longer to mature. How interesting. We, uh, Isabella and I, when we were traveling, um, we were lucky enough to uh, have a connection to a family friend, this guy, Gail Dunstall who's a real sweet man. He's basically my uncle. Uh, he used to come over to the States when my parents uh, lived in Los Gatos. Um, and I was just a little guy and paint houses and make dollars and then go back to New Zealand and have, um, have uh, New Zealand currency, which goes a lot farther. But we went over there and stayed on his ranch in Waihi and he had uh, a few, few cattle and um, big, big grazing area and, and like a little orchard of, uh, of limes, I think. He bust dude, he worked his fucking ass off, busted his ass. Uh, uh, so that was really cool. Um, so uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of yours. I enjoy, I got a, I got a post-it note, so I want to make sure it's out of the way because I, I go fucking full Snowden sometimes when I, when I, I want to. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm a fan of yours. I think what you've done with your branding, what you've done with your company, what you've done with your wife in creating products and a uh, an excited audience is something really, really cool and really interesting. I want to congratulate you for that, and I want you to know that I think that's super cool. And I want to kind of, I for real, and I want to. I want to speak to that. I want to ask you questions about that. And I want to learn from you the, the best that I can. Um, I, uh, I, I read your, your content uh, for the, for, you know, to the best of my ability as much as I can. You put out a lot of content. Uh, your stories often have like 50 tabs, which I, which I do my best to get through. Um, uh, but uh, I guess I want to kind of start like, like picking your brain with just an, like an like a overarching question of, what, if there was such a thing, was the catalyst that, you know, what was the dream? What was the starting point? What was the turning point? What was the, the, the point at which you consciously made the decision to create what you've created with Primal Edge Health, with, with you know, moving yeah. to Ecuador and creating a homestead? Like this, I mean, it's because I've known you before, what you've become, I'm so interested and intrigued to get your take on what you've built. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't something that it was just like, oh, this is what we're going to build real quick. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's kind of something that more like fell into line kind of serendipitously, right? Like it's, you know, the, the, the foundation was kind of set just from, just from like kind of who I am and what I'm into. And, and then that you know, I mean, we, we moved to Ecuador before we ever thought we would be doing anything as far as like online commerce and stuff goes, right? We didn't, when we moved here, we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, but there's something that basically just came about in stages, 
right? Like, I mean, when we first started, I first started a YouTube channel in 2013, right? 2013 or 2014. I think it was either the end of 2013 or the beginning of 2014. And the YouTube channel was essentially, there wasn't a lot of information about ketogenic diets, um, low carbohydrate, high fat diets. There was very little information out there about it. There was like one other person on YouTube at the time putting stuff out. And uh, so I started a channel, uh, started talking about mostly diet, right? Diet and lifestyle, kind of showing people what we eat and showing people how they could uh, use, uh, you know, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet for health, for fat loss, um, mental clarity, decreasing inflammation and stuff like that. And I don't know, I mean, this is like the lifestyle stuff kind of started to come into play, right? I think people just like the kind of aesthetic of what they saw, like in the background and whatnot. And, um, it just yeah, was hard not to. Bro, show everybody real quick that's watching this where you live. Look at, let's look out your window real quick. If you can yeah, move yeah. the camera. I, you showed me where you're going to go to look at the cow and I was, breath, I was breathtaking. How beautiful. So you are in, is, is this, is, this isn't the Andes or is it? Yeah, so there's... That's the end right there. It's kind of hills and towns down that way somewhere. Uh, I got to go for a walk over the backside of that mountain. There's a little trail you can see along that tree line. Yep, I do see that. Take that up and around. I think it, I, I'm told it's 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, maybe 30 minutes for an Ecuadorian, 45 minutes for me. Um, walk on that on that trail right there. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm going. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're up in about 5,000 foot elevation here. Wow. It's real steep, kind of just big rocky mud piles, basically what I, what I would describe the Andes as. I remember seeing a video of yours maybe two years ago. I, don't, I have a terrible sense of time to be fair, but you were going on a hike and you were so jazzed about being where you are uh, it was like after a rain and it was that, you know, that, that wonderful uh, kind of charged atmosphere and you were just jacked and, and talking to the camera and I could feel your stoke, you know, um, I, I really have gained a great amount of, how would I say, like, like peace of mind from connecting to, you know, just to, to, to things that put me closer to the earth, whether it's surfing or skiing are kind of my two primary things, which is going on a hike, you know? And uh, I wonder if that's a big part of what you're doing and how you feel about where you are. Do you feel real connected to the land? Are you, are you getting to be um, kind of a steward of where you are? For sure. Yeah. We, I mean, as far as like, you know, feeling physically, mentally, spiritually healthy, I think where you're at is very important, right? If you're living in like a slum somewhere surrounded by junkies who are treating themselves horribly, like you, we get imprinted by that. We start to take on those traits, right? Like if you're living in a, you know, in a college dorm with a bunch of kids who are you know, drinking all day and, you know, doing just self-destructive stuff, you're going to take on those traits and you're going to feel like that. I mean, you, it's uh, you're living in a suburb where nobody knows their neighbors and everybody's jealously looking at everybody's lawn and thinking how oh, my lawn can be better than theirs. My, you know, my clothes look better than theirs. Like you start to, you take on uh, traits from people around us, around you and in your environment, in your community. And that's, you know, that's a normal 
thing. I mean, we, we, uh, we start to, uh, we mirror the environment around us. So I think, uh, you know, where we live and what we spend our time doing, it's very important. And, uh, you know, being outside, being, being around animals, being around, you know, the sounds of birds and the wind and, you know, seeing the stars and having clear skies. Like to me, that's, it's, it's very, it's really important. And I, and I feel real fortunate to be here. And that's why we choose to be here, right? Kind of in the middle of nowhere. And that's, that's what I like about it. Yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about, that you guys have very little light pollution where you are, uh, yeah. as, as you say. That must be something special, man. Seeing the Milky Way and just all the stars come out at night. That's a special thing for sure, dude. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, kind of it's been kind of cloudy here lately, um, hmm. but you know, it's the rainy season right now. So the the stars every once in a while they'll pop out, and there's a little bit of light pollution from town, but it's not you know I mean it's not like a, a big city or anything. It's just just a few right. lights, but it's it's right. nice. Like I like being able to see the stars. I like being able to uh, to go outside and have some some quiet, and you know I can walk up the hill behind us and uh, you know being being pretty remote feeling area even though you know we got neighbors close by we have a cool neighborhood here and uh but yeah you could, it, i think it's important to have quiet time some solitude every once in a while especially sure i just it's always something that i crave like even you know living in santa cruz i used to go and walk down at the uh you know, like at the bottom of um what's it called like empire grade or empire grade yeah meet like right at the bottom of the school like, there is that cream grade like where Oh yeah, I mean yeah. There's the open space. Um, there's lots of like ag land in there, and yeah, there's that little pasture, kind of and then there was you know deep inside there, there was some uh, some old farm buildings and stuff. But I always like going down there by that little forested area. I remember like following a bobcat for a while down there one day, and just I don't know, oh, I, I, like just going there and hanging out and reading, where it was real quiet. And, um, yeah, just I've always really enjoyed like being outside and being in you know, quiet areas and. Uh, in, in nature, so it's uh, me, me too, man. Me too. I get it. It yeah. I mean, I used to go like I used to go surf, and I would just go kick it on the beach, and uh, you know, I mean, we used to do that all the time. Um, how are the kids doing? How's the family? How, how's the and everybody the good? Are, the kids are good. They're they're doing their homeschool. We had breakfast. Uh, Ariana's she'll be eight years old in May. On May wow. 7th. Wow. Ryder will be four. Ryder will be four in, um, in September. And uh, wow. they're cool, man. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're getting a little antsy. They want to be able to go to town and go see their friends. Because we're on like, we've got like a 2 p.m. curfew here where no one's allowed on, uh, to be in town after two. And uh, like kids are all kind of basically locked in their houses. The schools here are canceled. Our kids are homeschooled anyways, but you know, they, they want to go play soccer with their friends and they want to see their buddies and, and play with all their little homies, but they're, uh, they're good. They're, they're not, they got each other and they, uh, they enjoy it here. They got chickens, they got sheep, they got the cows. That's wonderful. They got responsibility. Four, uh, so. four, four, four years apart, I think it's still in that uh, zone where they're going to be pals, you know? They're uh, best I was talking to, right. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about that. Uh, she's two years apart from her sister and they were they were you know thick as thieves like for parts of their lives but me and my brother are six years apart and he was always in the next stage of life so we were never oh, yeah, that's how i was with my brother like from the time i was like I, 12 it's just like dude get out of here i'm 
I got I got big boy things to do. Like you thought, right? I thought was- <laughs> and how how what's the age difference? There, she was four when he was born. No, no, I mean you and your brother. What you're saying? Oh, you me and my brother. Six years, same yeah, six years, same, same, same. Right. That's funny. But my so sister the- was three years younger than me too, and I was the same with her. So even though she was three years, but she was, you know, she's a girl, and she had very different, like. Yeah, that's different too, right? Eric, uh, you know, remember Rude? Eric yeah. Rude. He has twins. He's got a, a, a two-year-old, um, and they're hilarious. Dude, he's that's so skateboarding and everything else. Awesome. He got the he got the vasectomy right away. Uh, uh, I I you got you know this is one of my honest feelings uh, among you know the rest of my honest feelings. I count my <laughs> just one just one of them. I count yeah. myself very lucky uh, to have friends like like you guys because without the the circle of people that I respect and have known and have you know palled around with. I would have less uh, navigational, you know, um, signs for moving forward. Like we're, we're, you know, doing our own life and making our own way and so forth, me and Isabella. And, you know, we're looking at having kids here in a little bit. But the fact that I have, you know, you in my friendship circle, Eric and, and you know, Mike yeah. Robards and these other guys that have children. Mike's got real, kids? Robert yeah, Robards has two kids too. Yep. Yep. How old are they? Uh, he's got a boy and a girl, and I'm not really sure, honestly. The dude, girl's that's so cool. younger. I miss that guy. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, he, dude, he's he's a good dude. He's a solid dude. You, he's, he's are you gonna see him anytime soon? No, probably not. He he moved out of the bay to Sacramento. Okay. Uh, got a big old house because he's been doing sales and making you know making money, and his uh, his wife Brittany is uh, is from a real well-to-do family that. Uh, owned a huge amount of agricultural land in the Bay, from what yeah. I understand. And uh-huh. so they are, uh, yeah. So, so my point is, it's a real interesting feeling for me to at once, like, have that critical voice and thinking about all the reasons why I can't and why I'm not good enough and why I could never be a good father and all this shit that's, that's consistent with just my own negativity you feel me that we all deal with not that anybody else feels that way but those are things that i oh for sure man it's so hard it's like because you think it's like i'm I'm probably you you think you're just going to automatically make all the same mistakes of all all the people around you them you know the things that that you maybe thought that your parents did incorrectly it's like it haunts you in certain ways but yeah i was fortunate enough i met i I know some cool people who had kids and it was a similar situation where it's like you know i saw good healthy families that were raising their kids in a way that I was inspired by. So it was like, oh man, cool. Like I, I could have kids. I, I could be stoked on this, you know? Whereas like even just li- living in California, living, you know, around in Santa Cruz and, you know, I didn't know anyone had kids or anything except, you know, the, in the house we lived in before we moved, right? Before we left Santa Cruz, you remember the little house that that little like converted, uh, it was a, a shipping container, like a 20 foot shipping container that was converted into a house that we lived on in the, uh, in the barrio there on uh yes 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 you had duke i remember duke yeah that was my, that was the most vivid memory i have of that house because he was a little puppy and he grew up when you were living there right yep. yeah i remember that he just died a couple years ago um but he was, a, he, he was a good uh, dog yeah he was great yeah duke was cool and you had uh maverick and you maverick would come over and they would play yep that's right that house that was on the uh on the boardwalk 
and uh, we that whole neighborhood it was like mostly like gangbangers and drug dealers and stuff. Yeah, the flat, the Except, beach flat, right? That's yeah, what they the call beach it. Flat. Yeah. Right across the way, though, there was like the only like it was it was one family and there was three generations living in this home so there was this guy phil and he was like this old school hippie dude but he wasn't really like a you know, like your typical santa cruz lefty hippie he was more like he he was a handyman he did everything himself he was an artist and uh and he was kind of like he was kind of like conservative in a lot of ways i think he was into uh i heard he was going to go to those tea party rallies at the time it was 2008 right so, yeah. but he had kids, he had like five daughters and two sons and they all lived in this compound of little houses right there. And then all the daughters were having kids, like they all had babies and there was grandma and grandpa and these, he, they were living like Ecuadorians live. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, sure. small houses, none of these people were rich. None of them had tons of money. They all struggled financially, but they were all so happy and they had so much love. Like they were just the coolest little family. And um, yeah, I was, I was super inspired by, by Phil and his family. And Phil was the guy that would like, if there was something wrong with their house, he would come over and, you know, he'd fix our fireplace. Or he would do repairs on the house and stuff like that. But yeah, I was, I was just seeing those families and seeing how, how stoked they were. They ran a little daycare. So like other kids would come over and stuff. And I was just, I was just, oh, this is so cool. Like all these people have like little three-year-old, five-year-old kids and, and they're not tripping. Some of them were divorced and like the dads were off doing whatever, but the kids still had like this, you know, their, their aunts and uncles were there, their grandma and grandpa were there and there was so much right. love and like none of them had money. None of them had, like a lot of them didn't have cars, but they just, they got by. They were really cool. And uh, so okay. that was like, that was one family that really inspired me. And that, that really made us think, oh, you know what? We can have kids. You don't have to be in like this you know, it was super financially stable position to have kids right. and raise them. You know? And, uh, and also like, it doesn't matter what's going on already. They live in the worst neighborhood in town. Like the, uh, the, the Mexican gangbangers that live in that neighborhood, they used to, I remember they like spray painted, uh, bears or rats because their last name was ba bear, B-A-E-R. And they would like spray paint bears or rats because Phil used to call cops and the drug dealers. Like he, they're outside in the in the park. He's out front of his house calling the cops, just staring them down. Like, yeah, I'm uh, uh, and uh, and he didn't care. And they they couldn't yeah. intimidate him. And he was just like this old white haired hippie dude running his show. So I I was very inspired by them, and uh, I still see them on like Instagram and stuff. Um, awesome family, and uh, they they probably don't even remember us because it was you know ten years ago. Oh, I'm sure they do, dude. But yeah, it was that was a funny time. So that those and then other people around us like. Similarly, as you're talking about now, right. they showed us just through their own example and they're, you know, people from different walks of life from different uh, countries even. And then these Ecuadorians too, like how they live and how much they love their family. I know your wife's from Brazil, so that yeah. was probably pretty cool to see when you guys visited there. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, as I kind of am speaking to, have had to face a lot of my self-limiting beliefs as I grow up, right? And one of the major ones, probably the predominant demon that I face, if you will, is anger and hate from, from growing up. And look, I, I didn't have it any worse than, than, you know, probably your average American kid, to be fair. So this is not a pity party. It's just me yeah. being open with you because I love you and I want to be transparent. 
But, but it's like, dude, you could be so, I know some of the people from those well-off families that were just miserable emotionally and, and like psychologically just because of the messes of like homes that they came from. Even though they're financially well-off, they're worse off than a lot of these people like, you know, in these shitty neighborhoods who maybe like all their neighbors are on drugs. <laughs> it's like- Yeah, no, exactly. And so, so what I'm seeing now is, because for so long growing up, I had this bend where it was like, okay, I saw my parents as a young person where they're both, you know, successful professionals. Uh, we had like a big, you know, two-story house, pool in the backyard, like nice, you know, nice cars in the driveway, right? And, yeah. you know, my parents split up as, as a lot of as have. I've not taken anything away from that. That was really hard on me as a young person, but um, I don't hold any delusions that that's unique to the American story. But I yeah, but it's, it's not me. unique, but it's still, it's messed up. Like, it's, it's not super messed that, up. Yeah. Super messed up, bro. And I, I carried in my heart an anger and a, and a resentment of what I thought was to blame, like uh, vanity and money. Yeah. Uh, and those were kind of things that I tried to ascribe responsibility to the pain that I had gone through as a young person and, and to understand what had broken up the family. Because at like eight or nine, I just felt like I was on my own. My brother was kind of on his own in college or, or moving towards being an independent person uh, as I was starting to, to become more, you know, fixed, more crystallized into, into who I was going to be as a person. And, you know, my parents were kind of just possessed by, by materialism and stuff. So for so long, I'd been bound up in this real defensiveness towards kind of the yeah. Western world and materialism. But bro, to speak to what you had said a moment ago, it's been a real intense growth opportunity for me to have met my wife, marry my wife, and then be welcomed in as a member of the Brazilian, you know, Brasileira Familia. And I can't speak Portuguese for shit, but I try. And the point is the Brazilian culture, and not to maybe go off on a tangent about the difference between cultures, but in, in Brazil, the family unit, as, as I imagine in Ecuador as well, is extremely strong. Yeah. It's, it's a different cultural narrative. What are the divorce rates in the United States? Because in Ecuador, there's not I a lot of divorce. You, I guarantee you it's lower than the United States. I don't know that. I, I could be wrong, to be fair. The United States, it's like, I it's would bet any, I the United bet States, the divorce horse. rates are like 50, I don't know, like 50% or something. It's absolutely insane. And it's culturally ingrained, right? right. It's, it's, not, it's not like it's just a, uh, oh, you know, these people are so enlightened. I think that the story we get given in the West is, oh, you know, in the West, people are so enlightened and they, you know, they, they understand that, you know, we can just be promiscuous and that like, well, this yeah, is okay. personal freedom above all other things. And, and yeah. I, I don't, but it's like this idolatrous version of freedom where it's like freedom just right. means you get to be selfish and autonomous from the repercussions of, of, you know, actually being a responsible human being. And that's, that's what right. gets pushed out of media, right? You look at like all of the, the, the stuff that we were fed as kids, right? Like we got Britney Spears and uh, Christina Aguilera and these like pop stars get made into prostitutes basically before your eyes since they, they go from right. being on the Mickey Mouse Club at Disney to being yeah, cut all awesome, their hair having off. mental breakdowns. And we're, and those stars that we, you know, we imitate. And, you know, and then uh, the generation before us, you know, the, our parents, like you said, like the materialism, the, uh, you know, the, the obsession with, oh, if you just go to, you know, if you just go to good, good education, then you're going to go get a great job. And it's like, these things have, 
these idols that they kind of worship of materialism, the dollar, uh, the democratic process, these have all been shown to essentially be, be illusory and be not as real as they thought they were. And I think that, uh, I think in the West, we're, we're, we're having a major identity crisis and like our generation was just living that out, right? Like our generation is like the, you know, the millennials are, you know, the, they're just in between mental breakdowns. <laughs> the millennials yeah, there's are a like, cultural shift happening for sure. I mean, there certainly was when our parents came of age in the 60s, right? In the 70s, yeah. you know, the, that, that, that cultural change. And now, you know, I hesitate to say that it's anything but predominantly through social media. I mean, the millennials and Gen X and Y seem to be really changing the game digitally, right? We're not out in the streets marching as much as like Occupy or whatever, but, but, um, but we are uh, making things more connected. We're making things more frenetic, manic, which I love. Uh, but the digital revolution is really picking up speed. And I think maybe it's a symptom of that soul sickness that, uh, you know, the, the millennials have had to adopt from kind of false narratives. But, but, but I think we've well, we, we fractured, like culturally, our families have been fractured. And then it's like people are yeah. naturally speaking human connection. But, right. you know, it's, it's kind of been right. directed all to go through, you know, the electronic devices, which... Um, you know, do allow us to connect and do allow us a certain amount of, uh, uh, of human connection through them. But it's also, it's not, it's like, it's yeah, still it's not, not a substitute for the real thing. It's not yeah, as, yeah, yeah, it's not as good as, as real communities as building right. real resilient relationships with neighbors and, you know, producing something locally in your environment. To me, that's like, right. that's where I want this to go. Right. I mean, if you, right. local food production, uh, I don't care if everybody does it, but it's like, for me in my local area, you know, that's what I'm into. I'm into, you know, I'm gonna go meet my friend right now, my buddy who helped me set up my beehives. And he's got this cow that I'm probably gonna end up buying from him. And um, you know, it's just, there's, there's so many like things that we can do you know, locally as far as commerce goes, as far as uh, you know, building relationships with community and you know, support and safety networks locally that feels to me way better than, than online stuff but the online the online world is like it, it is important for building up you know, knowledge bases community and uh and also educational resources for people and you know that's kind of what we've done through our website through our uh, forum and our membership site is we've we've got Which a place where tell, tell everybody where where they can find that real quick that's uh, the, the website's primaledgehealth.com and you know we've got a membership site where we run a private forum that's curated where um, you know, we do coaching calls every week. We have community of like-minded people who support each other, share ideas with each other, offer support to each other. And uh, so to me, that is really fun and that's really awesome. But I love seeing like what people are doing in their real life, right? Because I think uh, not, not that, you know, internet communities are real, but we've got a lot of members in our forum who are, you know, moving into homesteading situations that are moving towards, you know, producing their own food, who are, you know, getting cows, goats, and moving to their you know, family farmland that they never thought they would ever want to live on, but suddenly they feel this draw to do it. We've, we've been able to network with a lot of really cool people who are uh, doing that. And then people who are way ahead of us in the game as well. People who know uh, a lot more than us about, you know, raising animals, uh, you know, efficiently using land and uh, grazing ruminant animals. So it's, it's been really cool seeing that and seeing how those different communities kind of mesh and, and feed into the real life 
uh, stuff that's going on too. So it's, um, yeah, the, the, the internet world is, it's weird. It's beneficial in many ways, but it also is a ground for, um, you know, it's, it's a tool for, uh, it's a mass communication tool. Every mass communication tool, usually they can't, they can all be used for, uh, uh, for good or for social control, right? Television, radio, right? These are things that were, uh, they came around not too long ago. I mean, the radio is very new. Television is very new. And these are very effective means for starting wars, spreading propaganda, and causing genocide. But there are also ways for people to express themselves and uh, create art and, uh, you know, and share ideas, right? So it's, um, it's kind of just the human condition right there. All these tools, they can be used for good. You know, I mean, this knife can be used for, uh, for good, for you know, cutting a a rope or um, uh, butchering an animal, or it could be used to, uh, to you know, rob somebody or murder somebody. So it's, it's, um, well, don't it's, rob or murder anybody, but I, I do, but that's a good segue because not to cut you off. I read uh, a essay by the gentleman that you had turned me on to that wrote nihilism and the revolution of the modern age or something, something like that. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing the title, Rose. Seraphim Rose. Uh, fucking wild looking motherfucker, first of all. Uh, <laughs> looks like a guy who's taken a little bit too much, uh, you know, something. But uh, I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I read it. Uh, I didn't read the book, but I read a, um, an essay that he had written called uh, The Philosophy of the Absurd. And, mm. uh, uh, you know, well, well written guy, interesting. Um, and I just came to something that I thought was a beautiful distillation of the thesis of this, of this paper. And I wanted to put it to you because I think that it is in the same vein as the uh, claim that you just made. Uh, and then I know you got to go pretty soon, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to telegraph my punches here. I want to, I want to use this quote to hopefully catalyze a opportunity to discuss some of the things that you uh, have been arguing or uh, angrily speaking about, about. <laughs> I, I want I want to I want to poke, the bear. I, I poke the bear here so um yeah, because yeah. because you're 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 a reasonable guy I'm sure you're a great father you're a great friend uh you are reasonable I don't think you're out stabbing anybody that doesn't deserve it like I I hold faith in your moral compass right um so I would love to provoke you and then see what kind of constructive dialogue we can get into but mm -hmm. that being said i mean if that's reasonable uh, or agreeable uh so seraphim rose in this uh essay called the philosophy of the absurd that he wrote in 2015 uh <laughs> which is ascribed to i don't know if it's the author or uh his pen name or something which is he died in the world he died in like 1990 something so oh, okay. this must have just been when they published it to this particular uh to this particular forum or whatever, this website. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, okay. So he talks about how, uh, for the most part, people's practices are absurd in that they are uh, attempts to ascribe meaning to an utterly meaningless world. That's kind of a point that he makes. But, but then he comes back, and I, I disagree. Yeah, he doesn't, I don't, he doesn't that. believe that the world is utterly meaningless. He says that the foundations of the philosophy that's driving 
the modern world, which is based on nihilism and materialism, there's no meaning from that. It's just everything is what it is. It's just a natural. No, he says, he says, and I quote, politics, whether of the right, the left, or the center, can no longer be viewed as anything but an expedient whereby universal disorder is given for the moment a faint semblance of order. So politics exactly. is it's a, disordered, it's a disordered false reality. Politics being a disordered creation of man based on the foundations that are, uh, you know, essentially a schizophrenic philosophical foundations where they believe that order is meaningless, that it's all just, that everything is random, right? That everything is just random, that we just come about through random chance well, that, evolution. That's, that's the supposition that he's claiming. That that's, he's, he's critiquing that supposition. So he's saying the present no, age... No, he's not. No, he's not. He says politics, whether it's the right, left, or center, so, so politics, can no, no longer be viewed as anything but, so is, is 100%, it can't be seen as anything but an expedient, a, a way of, you know, a quick thing, whereby universal disorder, that is to say, what, what politics is being put up upon the world, universal disorder, is given for the moment a faint semblance of order. So he's saying that politics is all a charade of acting like there's some semblance of order in what is universally disordered. So there's no, he that doesn't claim. believe that it's universally disordered. That's not what he's saying. The argument is okay, not that well, it's universally disordered. The argument is based, the politics that people are, out, are playing out are based on the assumption, which is faulty, that they're imposing order upon chaos. Okay, so then let's just start with the first, if we can't agree on that, let's start with the first sentence of the, of the essay. The present age is, in a profound sense, an age of absurdity. That's his, that's his opening line, okay? Fair enough. The, the man believes that the present age, which you say he died like 100 years ago or so, some, some, something like this, but in, in the course of human evolution, we're still kind of in the same age, if you will. So this man is claiming that it's all absurd, whether it's poetics, drama, paint, sculptor, politics, pacifists or militants, doesn't matter. It's all, it's all crazy. It's, it's his... It's his um, Look, if you look at the second paragraph, if you read a little bit further, but art, politics, and philosophy today are only reflections of life. And if they have become absurd, it is because in large measure, life has become so. The most striking right. example so of absurdity right. in life in recent times was, of course, Hitler's new order, wherein right. a supposedly normal civilized man could be atoned and at the same time an accomplished and moving interpreter of Bach, as was Himmler, and a skilled murderer of millions, and who might arrange a tour of an extermination camp to coincide with a concert series or an exhibition of art. Hitler himself, indeed, was an absurd man par excellence, passing from nothingness to world rule and back to nothingness in the space of a dozen years, leaving as his monument nothing in a shattered world, owing his meaningless success to the fact that he, the emptiest of men, personified the emptiness of men in his time. So he's critiquing the whole worldview that assumes that everything is this surrealist theater of the absurd. Hitler was a Nietzsche fan. Hitler was very well, into the philosophy he's, he's of Nietzsche. Saying that, he's saying that that's the case, that everything is a theater of the absurd. That's the claim no, that he's, he's saying making. That Hitler's, a, believe, Hitler's an example of it. No, he's saying that the worldview that allows this is the assumption, the base assumption, that we are all just meaningless billiard balls bouncing around in a meaningless universe and that there is no meaning except for the meaning that well, we but, put to things, which yeah, is what Hitler, Hitler, Hitler didn't believe that. Yes, Hitler he did. Was, Hitler was, was a nihilist. Hitler pushed by an order. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. The, the thing that I thought was, was where I uh, fall into ideological step with, with this, this gentleman uh, who calls himself Seraphim Rose is, the, is kind of the, the thesis that he moves us to. And that is, it is it's the third to last paragraph. It is futile, in fact, it is precisely absurd to speak of reforming society, of changing the path of history, of emerging into an age beyond absurdity, if we have not Christ in our hearts. And if we do have Christ in our hearts, nothing else matters. So he makes all these lofty claims about, you know, what the world is, whether it's drama politics or you know, state, you know, heads of state. He's not saying that that's what the world is. He's saying that those are false assumptions based on a foundation of sand that then are proved meaningless over well, and over again by the massive findings of man who's constantly building up these towers of Babel to then be fallen down again and fall further down into a meaningless reality where man thinks he himself is God. Okay, we're, we're mincing words. He's just saying this is a thing. What, what, what you call it is, is up to you, but he's saying, here's, here's things, and he talks about them and how terrible they are. And then he says, there's an answer to these things, and it's have Christ in your heart. And, and I, I think that that is a beautiful doorway back to the light from a very dark and critical and hopeless place, wherein all externalities are inherently evil, because I think that that's not the case. I think that terrible things happen. I think that there is evil. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that's fair to say. I think that atrocities do get committed and there are people with, with terrible intentions and, and so forth. But I think that the battleground is within the self. I think that becoming that guy that knows when to use that knife, like you say, this is a, this is a tool for good or evil. And knowing that and understanding that inside the self and inside one's own heart, at least, assures that the self is not one who would commit any of these atrocities, as you say, you know, trying to create order from disorder or, or, or what have you. Um, trying to impose your own vain sense of order on things, right? It's like Hitler being the ultimate, the ultimate example of vain madness. A man who believed that the world is meaningless and empty and void, and that, only, that meaning and right only come from might, right? Might makes right. Right, this is the, uh, the worldview that he came from, but then at the same time, pretending like his version of might is universally true, right? Saying that there, are no, there is no universal truth is itself a contradictory statement because that's a universal statement about truth. You know what I'm saying? It's like saying, like, there is, there is nothing that is universally true. Is that statement also not universally true? So it's like, just at its very core, that's kind of Hitler's worldview boiled down to its distilled uh, essence, right? And that is what he's critiquing as far as the modern worldview uh, goes. And yeah, it's all going to be theater of the absurd. If you start with those faulty presuppositions that we get to impose order on everything, right? It's like, oh, it's just, it's me. It's like, I, 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 am, I am the ultimate arbiter of truth. I am the cutting edge of, of all of this. This is lofty, vain thinking that really leads to misery for us, right? Because then we're constantly chasing our tail because we, there, I, I find, just let me speak to that real quick. I find that, not to interrupt you, but there, there's a important balance to be struck, in my opinion, that as a 33-year-old person who's just starting to get their shit together, if you like, I've had to work on in myself, and that is 
first from being a you know, college age person where I think, and my brother and I have spoken about this, and I think it's a fair point to make, people in college are often more left-leaning, are often of the opinion that they have the, the, the answers for you know, society and, and how everybody should live, uh, and, and never having worked, never having really done anything to contribute, that is to say young people. And as people get older, they, I think, learn to have faith in their own abilities, their own abilities to make good decisions because they've probably made enough bad ones, you feel me, to, to have, have seen the repercussions of, of immorality or, or you know, malevolence and so forth. So I think as a person gets a little older into their like early 30s, they start to really become an adult and have to face the fact that they are autonomous and have personal sovereignty. But there's a real, there's a real danger, I would argue, of falling into the worship of the self as opposed to the understanding of like indivisibility, like the, the fact that you are you and nobody can take that away from you. But at the very same time, you are still, you know, the head of your family. You are a friend in a friend group. You are a member of a community. And all of those are equally indivisible, equally. You don't want to like mortify the self. It's not about the destruction of the self, right? Like that's, that in it, that, you know, the thinking of Well, no, it's the destruction of the, the island of the self, the destruction of the idea that you are somehow removed from all, all other selves, right? Like, like the idea that we're not all in on the same rock together, because we are. And I think that that's something that young people can fall into with drug addiction or with ideological possession, right? If I, if I can sit here and say, I get it. And oh, those other people don't get it. Well, my contention is everybody gets it. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody has to live life. Everybody has to face the human condition. And whatever theories you come up to define good and evil and mortality and these kinds of things that kind of elude a real definite definition like uh, consciousness is your own choice, yeah? And that's something that you get to have and hold. But what I'm saying is, I think it's really important to both be somebody who believes in their own thinking, that is to say that has the, the conviction of saying, well, this is my experience, and let's bring that to bear on the conversation, and somebody who's willing to, you know, let an expert speak or defer to uh, other members of the community, other members of the, of the group. Uh, and I, I find it really encouraging when I can plug into something greater than myself. And it's usually the ocean or the mountain. And it's, it's, a, it's a minority of the times when that's a peer group that can kind of handle my like manic energy. But when I can do that, it's really a healing thing for me because that energy travels around the circle and kind of enlivens everybody and so i guess what i'm getting yeah, at it's like is, where, where does that come from that's the question too right where it's does like, what what is what where does what come from where does that come from where the ocean come from where does that feeling come from that you get that comfort you get from you know being you know moving your body or um whether or connecting with your wife or you know the, the rapture of you know yeah release a group. in a way like where does that comfort really come from a it's greater, obviously not the ocean itself, right? That's like no, it's a it's a greater circulation. So my body has a circulation. My circulatory system, my pulmonary system, my endocrine system is moving stuff all the time. My brain's moving 
neuron firings and so forth, and, and I can be in that. But I can also be in the, in the ocean, and there's the movement of the tides and the current and the wind and the wave. And as soon as I plug into that movement, my system, if you like, feels that. And that's my, that's my answer. When I'm with friends, if I'm in a circle with you and, and other individuals and we can talk, there's, there's a movement of energy that's bigger than my body. Mm. And I, I like that. It, it is a healing thing. It's like being in the midst of a dance studio with music playing. Now there's something happening that's of a superordinate nature and it, it makes all of my systems laminar as opposed to turbulent. Yeah. You feel me? So that's my yeah. answer to the question. You know? And yeah. I, I think, I think, I think the, the, the directionality that I take from that thesis is if I can plug into a movement that is a natural movement, then it heals me. If it's the, if it's the earth, you know, with growing uh, uh, the grasses, or if it's the movement of the water, or if it's honest to goodness conversation, or if it's, you know, the, the snowy mountains, then it heals me. The, the contention that I have that is, I think, something that speaks to what I was going to say earlier, where, where you're, you're often speaking on social media about, when I plug into a system, a movement that is synthetic, that is based on rules that some fallible human has made, right? Whether it's a city hall meeting or a business uh, lunch or some kind of group where there's a movement that's greater than myself in the same metaphorical sense as being in you know, in nature, that hurts me because the movement is one of limiting returns. Like if I go to the ocean, it, there's, no, there's no zero sum game. I could go and eat some kelp and catch a fish. And you feel me? Like I can, I can sustain myself based on that movement. There's always new flow. But if I'm in a room with people jockeying for position in the same company, somebody's getting knocked down for somebody else to, to look a little bit better, a little bit smarter, a little bit more ready for that promotion. And the thing that I've realized is I don't want to be in false systems. And if I can, I inject whatever realness I feel that I have into the systems that I'm able to be in. And bro, right, so then the important not, question becomes what, what, is, what determines what is real, what is true? And what is false, right? So it's like we, yeah, it's like we both agree that there is something that is true and false, and it's not like it's just we get to make it up or we get to decide, right? But also, it's like sometimes, how can we know to trust our own feelings? Because sometimes, you know, there are times like in your past, right, where you would feel like something was right, right? Like I might like have felt at times that I needed to like what was right was to uh, like take prescription drugs or something, or to like you know, or to treat people poorly and to to use people to make myself uh you know feel better right to like you know the, the suck off somebody else's energy and siphon their energy for my own benefit because hey it feels right it feels good right so it's like i think i think it's it's very important no it's like we don't we don't want to live in confusion we don't want to be chasing our tails all confused and uh but we very often as fallible human beings as you said we find ourselves in those positions so that's why i think it's and maybe the next conversation we get we can get more into this uh, because I'm I'm actually twelve thirty and I gotta get out of here. I see it's raining outside. I might have to bring a rain. Yeah, jacket. man, you got it. You got a book right now. But it's mm-hmm. like we have to. Uh, you and I, I think, both agree that truth is not determined by just us. Like we don't just like make up what's 
true universally. And it's not just, it can't just be based on our feeling either. Although I think it is to a certain extent, we, we have to navigate through our feelings, through our bodies, through our, uh, through this interface that we have here. But our feelings can be liars sometimes and our feelings can lead us into despair and yeah, I anger. hear you. I think, I think I'm saying thought, so it's like, I, that's, yeah, that's, where the, that's where theology comes in. And it's like, to me, the theology of the fall, the theology of where we came from, where we're going and proper presuppositions about the world that we're in are essential Right. And that's why uh, that's why I was eventually led to reading guys like Father Seraphim Rose or, um, you know, St. John of Damascus and, you know, some of the, uh, the early church fathers. And it's to me, that's uh, it, there's been no better way of describing where we're at here and of, uh, you know, setting the foundations for uh, you know, proper action in the world and reality than that. And I think the truth has to be our foundation. Or it's sand, right? So I think uh, that's why I, th I really like that book. That the book Nihilism. It's a it's a book you could you could listen to it. There's an audio book that a, a, somebody that I know on YouTube made a cool recording of that book that you could listen to as well. But okay. he does a very good job at critiquing the modern worldview and showing how it's absurd in so many ways, and showing that proper foundational uh, assumptions and proper theology and understanding the fall and why we talk about things like fallible human beings were we always fallible and why do we strive for perfection if we're meant to be fallible maybe we weren't initially fallible right and the fall is what kind of describes that us coming from a place of infallibility and incorruptibility but then choosing the fall choosing falseness and falling out of the garden and into this fallen world that we live in now whereby death becomes present everywhere Whereas before death wasn't present, right? So it's like, there, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm throwing a bunch of deep like fish hooks out there and it's like, it's so hard to leave a conversation on. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to start digging into <laughs> it because I know you got to go, but I appreciate where you're coming from and we can pick it up another time. Um, Let's do it. But uh, do it. yeah, shall we? I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, I couldn't stay longer. I've got like a, a crazy. Uh, dude, you got something to do. You got a good raincoat, I trust. I got a, a big piece of plastic to wear, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Poncho, right? Well, hey, I love Poncho. you, and I would love, love you, to get into the discussion more deeply. I wanted to try to poke you a little bit more about online shit, but we'll have to put it on the calendar and get it for next. You time. know, you and I could talk for hours, man. So, like, we'll we'll do it again. We'll do it again sometime. We can get deeper into it. We can poke and prod and and squirm and worm about it. And uh, right. yeah, dude, I, I was really good talking to you as always, bro. I love you My very pleasure. much, man. And uh, Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, hit me up whenever you need. You got you got my number. You know where I'm at. I'm here for you, dude. Yeah, and 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 be safe and and uh, take care of that cow of yours. Yeah, we'll go go see how she is. Hopefully, the rain doesn't keep up too much. It's just sprinkling outside. So, all right, dude. Talk to Devin. you later, my man. Thank you. Cheers, my brother.